Recovery Elevator, Episode 13. I flipped open the book and tried to look for a spot where it said, if things get bad enough, go ahead and start drinking again, and I could not find it. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to my Recovery Elevator sobriety app on my iPhone, I have been sober for eight months, one week, zero days, zero hours, 36 minutes, and 53, 54, 55 seconds. Before we get into the podcast, I'd like to give a couple of reminders and things to keep in mind while listening to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. First off, listen to the similarities and not the differences. It's going to be real easy to convince yourself that you're not an alcoholic because you're not 55 years old, you don't have two kids, and you don't live in Iowa, right? You're probably not an alcoholic because that's not you. No, I have done that myself. I have listened to the differences and not the similarities. In fact, let me tell you about my very first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I walked out ecstatic because what I did, I only listened to the differences. It was sort of a drunk-a-log and it went around the room. I heard divorce. I heard bankruptcy. I heard jail and prison. And at that moment, I had none of those things. And I walked out, I put my hands in the air, said, hallelujah, I am not an alcoholic. It was about a couple days later after that, that I came back crashing down and yeah, I was an alcoholic. Number two, we are not affiliated with any 12-step program. However, a lot of our guests mention Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a fantastic program. It works for a lot of people. And another thing is listen to this podcast out of hope. Listen to this podcast not out of fear. Quit drinking out of hope for a better life, not out of fear that that your spouse might leave you, that you might go bankrupt, you might go to jail. Fear, that might keep you sober, but only for a short period of time. Hope for a better life, which is what I want for you guys and what I want for myself, is really the only motivation that will get you to keep a maintainable sobriety. After receiving several emails from people saying, hey, is there a forum for Recovery Elevator? Can you guys create a Google Hangout or a Facebook group? We've actually done just that. Sure, we have a Recovery Elevator Facebook page, which you can like, but we also created the Recovery Elevator Facebook group. You can just search Recovery Elevator, look for groups, and ask to be part of it. This group will not replace AA or any other or any other program you're using to stay sober. It is just an additional resource to have in your back pocket, and in my case, my front left pocket. There were so many times when I was struggling so badly in the summer of 2014, I would pull my phone out to escape and I'd go to Facebook, scroll down that news feed. And there was one moment at 1.52 in the morning, I saw an ad about Bud Light Lime. I love lime, Corona and lime. Bud Light Lime at 1.52 in the morning sounded delicious. And I live about five minutes away from a gas station. Guess what I did before the law in the state of Montana that says at 2 a.m. you cannot purchase any more alcohol you're right. I got in my car at 153, got there at 158, bought two large canisters, 24 ounces each of Bud Light Lime, yeah, and a box of wine to go. So if you're going to be on Facebook and you're struggling, might as well be hanging out in the Recovery Elevator Facebook group. And I personally am part of this group. I'm personally active in this group. And I'm not acting like I'm some sort of authority because I'm never claiming to be some sort of authority in sobriety. I'm active in this group because I'm seeking sobriety. I'm seeking guidance. I'm seeking working with other people. We have this thing called Thankful Thursdays 
where you simply write what you have gratitude for. What are you thankful for in your life? Today, I posted a photo of my walk at 5.55 in the morning with my lovely standard poodle, Ben. He was crouching, ready to pounce. It was cold, it was windy, but I was so thankful to be in that moment, watching the Montana sunrise with my dog, and I was sober. Not only sober, I was in a clear mindset. I wasn't hungover. I wasn't foggy from the night before. I felt clear. I was ready to face the day and whatever challenges would come that day. And today is the same day that I was grateful for all that stuff this morning, this Thursday. Let me tell you, there were some challenges that came today, but I made it through today sober and I am so thankful for that. And let's talk about that. Challenges, expectations. What can you expect in sobriety? A lot of people have the misconception that things are perfect. It is just smooth sailing. They can imagine, well, if I only just quit drinking alcohol, things will be so much better. In the majority of cases, in a lot of cases, in some cases, that's the truth. In my case, it's been fantastic. First time I got sober in 2010, it was fantastic for about five to six months. I was on a pink cloud. I was loving life. I was living life without alcohol. I wasn't hungover. I was losing weight. Physically, I felt better. But there are three components to alcoholism. There is the physical part. There is the psychological or the mental part. And then the spiritual part. In 2010, I really only addressed the physical part. Not ingesting copious amounts of Jack Daniels, tequila, Coors Light, all that cheap boxed wine that I love to drink. Physically... My body healed. It got a lot better. I lost about five to eight pounds. I felt so much better physically. But there were two other major components that I had completely ignored. That was the mental and the spiritual part of the disease called alcoholism. Now, today's podcast episode is about expectations. And I have Eric with us today who I'm sure what his expectations of sobriety were nothing like what happened in sobriety. At about month sixth, Something changed in his life that probably won't change back the other way. Barring any extreme medical advancements in the next couple years. In Recovery Elevator, I'll be honest with you, this is not my best interview. Sure, Eric and I have this big communal disease called alcoholism in common, but there are times where I could not relate with Eric. I don't know what he's going through. He would talk about what happened in six months of sobriety, and in my mind I was thinking to say, yeah, Eric, I, I know how you feel, man. About four months in sobriety, my juicer broke, right? How terrible is that? But in reality, I just bought a brand new juicer on Amazon Prime. It was $65. It's in my house. Two days later, two-day free shipping. I was making pear smoothies or pear juices with carrot juice and ginger and kale. Three days later, I can't relate to what Eric went through. Eric is an inspiration. There's this thing called life, which if you don't address the mental and spiritual aspect of the disease alcoholism, life will eventually turn into a crap quesadilla. That's all it will be. And every day will just be a nibble, a bite, or a whole gulp, right? Life is around the corner, just like your addiction. It will show up. It will kick you in the butt. It will slap you in the face. That's inevitable. Life will come and deal you a hard knock. But Eric, he is addressing all three of the physical the mental and the spiritual components of alcoholism. And what happened with six months of sobriety, he didn't have to drink. And talk about expectations. This was not part of his plan. What happened to him? I can only imagine 
and I hope I wouldn't have to drink, but I can't put myself in those shoes. I know how I felt when my juicer broke. Yeah, there was plastic parts everywhere. I think I even swallowed some of the plastic. But in reality, I have nothing to compare to what Eric went through. And enough jib-jabbing out of me. Let, let's hear from Eric. And Recovery Elevator, I'd like to welcome Eric to the podcast. How are you, Eric? Hey, Paul. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm really good. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get right into it. How long have you been sober? I have been sober, according to my Recovery Elevator app, for one year, two months, six days, eight hours, and 46 minutes, and we're counting up on some seconds. There we go. Love it. And let's reference the podcast title. Talk to me about your elevator, Eric. When did you decide When did you decide that it went down far enough and it was time to get off? Oh, you know, it's, uh, it's surprising because there were a lot of times that uh, anyone around me would have thought that surely I was on the basement floor, but... Um, you know, I found some lower ones to go to. And it got to the point where just looking, everything was just such a mess that I, I, knew, I knew that it was time to do something. At that point, I wasn't sure what it was, but I knew that uh, it was going to be a big decision and I should probably be sober for, uh, to make it. So that was when it was really just like, okay, I got to get my head at least clear enough to figure out how I'm going to sort out this you know, mess that I've made, um, over the last, you know, several years. Eric, when you said time to do something, talk to me about your drinking habits, kind of what happened before that, when you finally realized like, all right, it is time to do something. Oh man, it, it was just so volatile. Every, every relationship in my life was just in shambles because I, you know, I couldn't even show up for myself, let alone to show up for anyone else in my life. You know, that was, uh, I was happy to be, you know, happy to be of service, happy to show up, happy to participate as long as I could get drunk first, you know, as long as I could be drunk during or, you know, have that covered, then I was totally willing to show up. But, um, and that, you know, got to the point where it started to interfere with everything. And I got to that point where I said, okay, something has to change. And like I said, I didn't know what it was at that point, but something had to change because every direction I looked uh, was a burnt bridge and, you know, wasn't smooth sailing. Now, Eric, I am the only one out of us two that can call myself an alcoholic and I am 100% an alcoholic. When did you realize that potentially you might be an alcoholic, right? Was it 14 months ago or, or did the ball get rolling a long time before that? The ball was certainly rolling a long time before that. I think it was probably a good uh, four years ago that I realized that I had at, at least um, an unhealthy relationship with alcohol and substance abuse in general, I mean, alcohol uh, obviously you know was my common denominator. But um, just being checked out, and I realized how much how much I was going um, to alcohol to check out, not just to have fun anymore. Like I was going by myself, you know, for no reason. I was not celebrating or getting sympathy for any causes. I was just drinking to drink, and because it made me feel okay when I was doing nothing. And so I just, I realized at the very least I had a very unhealthy relationship with it. And then, you know, later on it became very clear that that was, uh, 
alcoholism because it, it just, you know, it's a progressive disease as you've talked about before. And it, it was pretty clear um, 14 months ago. I, I knew what I was going in for and, you know, knew what I was going to do then. But um, four years ago, it was just a pretty unhealthy relationship. Now let's talk about 14 months ago. You told me you went to a 60-day rehab. Now some of the guests on the show, they have been to rehab, but we haven't really touched on that subject matter as of yet. So tell us about rehab, a little bit what that was like, and do you think it's important? I mean, of course it's important, but do you think it's necessary for somebody, if they want to get sober, to go to rehab? I would never be able to say it's uh, it's necessary for someone. It was necessary for me. I was in such a bind with myself that I, I mean, I couldn't trust myself to show up for anything uh, when at, at that point. So I, I needed to go somewhere where everything was taken care of as far as I didn't have any outside worries. You know, all the meals are provided for you. You're living in housing. You're meeting people there. I needed everything covered so that I could just focus on trying to get enough momentum momentum going about sobriety that when I left that rehab, I had a chance on the outside because I didn't, I, I tried everything, you know, before going into these inpatient programs, I tried everything and I had actually been to two. I went to one 30 day rehab um, about six months before I actually, uh, you know, got sober for this longer, this 14 month stretch. And it didn't work. I didn't, I didn't, and it's not necessarily the program's fault at all. You know, I just wasn't ready. But again, it was for me, I knew I had to get somewhere where I could really just focus on sobriety because the rehab part isn't the beginning necessarily. It's when you, you know, when they open that door for you and you get to leave 60 days after, that's when the uh, the real work begins. And I wanted to, I, I think it's a great way to get a little head start um, before having to go face all that real world uh just business again, the stuff that comes with life. Let's talk a little bit about that real world stuff or life, right? That tornado that can come at any time. Now, the topic of today's podcast episode is expectations, Eric. And this is because you emailed me a couple weeks ago and told me a fairly miraculous story. I think I replied to you the instant I read it. And about six months, I believe, Eric, you had an infection in your spinal cord, right? And can you tell us a little bit more about what happened? Yeah, uh, happy to. Um, yeah, it was definitely. Uh, let's say it, it wasn't in the it wasn't in the plan. What happened? That's for sure. Um, you know, so yeah, I was about six months sober, and uh, I had I got an infection on my spinal cord. Uh, it was totally random. There was nothing that you know led up to it anything that like that, just a little bit of back pain. And then uh, it just, it ended up this infection caused some swelling in my spinal cord, which uh, left me, uh, left me paralyzed from, you know, mid chest down. And uh, it's been, it's been one of those things where I've had to look at it and, you know, trying to sort out, okay, I, here I am six months into my sobriety. I'm feeling, you know, really great about this. It's longer than I've been sober in, eight years, uh, and then this happens, and it's just one of those things that, you know, this isn't supposed to happen in sobriety. And that's, and part of that was my expectation of as soon as I get sober, everything's going to be, you know, not necessarily smooth sailing, but it's going to, you know, everything gets better for people in sobriety. And 
in a lot of ways that's true, and in a lot of ways it's also not true. Life, the real world stuff, you know, what we're talking about, there's a lot of it, and that's why when I think about it, that's where I started and why I started drinking was because life is difficult enough on its own without causing more problems by, you know, living in active uh, alcoholism or addiction. Um, and so I had to really uh, come to terms with the fact that, you know, I was, you know, obviously emotionally upset because of the injury and because of what, um, you know, it was going to make life harder, but also because, I just, this, I didn't see this, you know, this wasn't anything I expected to ever have to deal with. And then here it was on my doorstep and had to find a way to go through it. And a lot of that I did with people in the program and by, uh, you know, really building, building some strong support networks around me that I was able to truly rely on when, you know, things got really bad in a way that I could have never even imagined. Eric, let, let me confirm something here. I, I'm just the wheels are spinning in my head right now. At five or, or six months sobriety, you said you became paralyzed from the mid stomach down. Now, are, are you in a wheelchair? Yeah, still in a wheelchair now. Oh, okay. I, I, and you didn't drink. Am I right on that? Oh no, yeah, no. I, you know, there's, uh, I didn't, you know, because basically what I did was. Uh, I flipped open the book and tried to look for a spot where it said, if things get bad enough, go ahead and start drinking again. And I could not find it. Went ahead and uh, just kept reading, tried to find it again, but still not in there. Eric, I, I got to tell you, it, it, I'm almost, I'm eight months, a little over eight months sober right now. At five months, if I had gotten a bad sinus infection or the common cold, I probably would have been tempted <laughs> to drink. I, I cannot even fathom what you went through and to face life as it just shows up on your doorstep. Like, come on, this is not the plan. This is not the expectation I had for in sobriety, right? And and how has it looked after after month five? So you, you've got nine months being paralyzed and how is it going moving forward? You know, it's going, it's going pretty well. Uh, you know, it, it, there's, there are things that are different. Yes. Some very different things and things that were, you know, I absolutely took for granted before that now either I can't do just because of either accessibility limitations or physical limitations, or it's just, you know, more difficult. It's not necessarily something that, you know, I could just easily hop, you know, hop in the car, go for a drive, all the, you know, that kind of stuff. It's just everyday routine. Uh, you have to start thinking about it a little more, but uh, you know it's going well. I think an interesting thing that um, I found out is that it's it's a lot easier to live uh, with like a physical disability than it is to live with an emotional one, and that's kind of what I see as my pre sobriety state was that I was physically fine, but I was emotionally and mentally a complete wreck, and then after the injury and really devoting myself to the program and immersing myself with the people that, uh, you know, who are showing up every day have been able to live with, you know, a physical disability, but my emotional and mental um, side is way better. It's way healthier. And that has made tackling this problem, tackling the little things in life uh, much easier and certainly makes me feel like I'm never out there on my own. Eric, and what you went through in five to six months sobriety, like I said, is not part of the plan. What 
can you tell listeners maybe to possibly expect when they are in four to five, six months in sobriety, or just what can they expect in sobriety? You know, that's, uh, you know, it's a question that I always wish um, you could give just a direct answer to someone when they ask you, you know, like, what am, what's it going to be like when I'm 90 days sober? What's it going to be like when I'm six months sober? And the truth is, uh, we're going to find out together. You know, if you keep coming back, we'll find out together and I'll be happy to help you through and be there for you in any way I can as you go through these things. But as far as expecting, you know, just expect that you're going to need to keep showing up. That's, you know, other than that, there's uh that's a big part of it is the being open-minded. And when you, when you start having expectations, you're already starting to close in what you're allowing yourself to, uh, you know, be just to be open to uh, coming your way. Like, of course I never expected to be in a wheelchair and paralyzed, um, you know, and I never would have, but there it is. It's a real, it's a real thing that can happen. And these things come along where, uh, you just you couldn't have you couldn't have seen it, and you just need to have a strong enough program in you know within yourself to be able to tackle that and to have a good network, a good support network, and good people around you that you you know you don't have to feel like it's all weight on just your shoulders. You get to share that and you know help go forward. You don't have to do any of this alone, and in fact, it's not recommended that you do. <laughs> Like you said, you don't have to go through this alone, and it's not recommended that you do. And that's kind of the whole reason of this podcast. And and Eric, you are not alone, and I'm not alone. And, and I felt so alone for a long time before doing this podcast. Now, let's switch gears a little bit here. And Eric, I do not claim to be an authority figure in sobriety at all. And in fact, you, my friend... I, are an inspiration, right? I can think of every tumultuous moment in my life while I was drinking and I have a little bit of sobriety. I drank and I drank a lot over it, right? But you, you are an inspiration to all of us. So thank you for just showing to us and to me that it's possible not to drink when life literally just slaps you in the face and life happens. I'm terrified. I've got something in life coming up probably within the next six months that I don't know how to deal with. But Eric, now that I know that you're in my network, I might be giving you a call and we can touch base again. But you didn't drink. I'm sorry. I'm still hung up on this fact, right? That's incredible. Right. And, and tell me, I guess, tell me a little bit about your program. And we're not affiliated with AA, but again, if it works, talk all about it. What do you do on a day-to-day basis? Walk us through one day of Eric. No problem. And uh, yeah, thank you for I mean, just saying that. I appreciate uh, appreciate your candor. Just I appreciate the podcast here and being able to you know share these things with people because I you know I've heard some amazing stories myself where it's just you just do it. Like people just do it and they find a way to do it. And you, you there's not a ma- and there's never been a magic bullet. You know that people have always they show up, they do the work and they get through it. You know, they're not looking for a silver bullet. And I think that's a, you know, a big thing uh, for me in my program. I I do, uh, I do attend AA uh, daily. Basically I like to start my day off with it. Uh, I have a great home group um, with some great friends in it. It's, it's wonderful. Um, It's it's really wonderful. So that I do uh, participate actively in that both with, uh, you know, being, having a sponsor and uh, having sponsees as well. Uh, But so a day starts with that. It starts with getting my head right in that, 
in that room in the morning. It's you know usually it's a chaired meeting, so somebody brings in uh, a reading from the big book or twelve by twelve, and it just gets my head right in the morning. And then I usually try to do a little bit of meditation after the meeting. You do a little processing, make sure I'm you know got my head straight, and then. And then really going through the day, it's about uh, being able to take time to pause and really really look at what's going on around you and make sure that, you know, if something's getting irritated, it's usually because it's touching on something that I, you know, a resentment or a, something I already have that's buried within me. It doesn't really have to do with the small thing that's going on around me. And that's a big thing with the uh, the expectations, too, is that, you know, it's really important that your sobriety not be dependent on everything going well because it's not going to happen. Like there's going to be times in your life where you're going to have to put, you know, the rubber to the road, so to speak, where you're going to have to use these tools that you're developing in sobriety. You're going to have to use them. And so you're going to want to know how to use them. And you're going to want to know that uh, they're going to work when you do, because you're, when you put them into play, it's because, you know, you, you really need them and uh, you don't want your sobriety to be so fragile that you can't go through any bumps because life is full of little bumps and sometimes big bumps and you just have to find a way uh, to navigate, to, na- to keep navigating forward even though, you know, it's not the smoothest ride. Eric, I have been asked, and I'm asking for myself, walk me through your meditation. You said you do meditation after the meeting. What does that look like? How long? Do you have Enya playing? I have no idea. I know what I do, and I'm, I'm struggling <laughs> to learn more about meditation because I keep hearing that magical word. Talk to me about your meditation routine. I definitely uh, understand you. It took, it took me a long time. I'm really now, I would say, just coming into being able to do what I consider a, a really just like strong focused meditation. Uh, I, at, at a minimum, I try to do two minutes, just, just two minutes of it. It has to be, I like it to be quiet. It doesn't have to be silent, but I like it to be quiet. And I just, uh, for me, I just try to blank a little bit because the one, uh, the saying that I've always been told is, uh, praying, um, praying is asking for help and meditation is listening for the answer which I really like. And so, you know, there's lots of things during the day that, you know, I, I hope to get through and whether it's, you know, praying or not, if you wanted to call it that, but just thinking, you know, how, you know, thinking about ways that I can overcome it. And then the meditation is a way to sit there and put down all the preconceived notions and really the expectations that I have from my day and just let the presence set in like that's all I'm trying to do with meditation that's why you can a lot of people have uh, you know little mantras they'll say during the day it's just about getting right sized focused and present for me because when I start getting outside the present um, that's when I start struggling a little bit because I start getting into the hypothetical or I start getting into the past which I can't change and so you know that starts starts the wheel spinning a little bit but in this case with the meditation, I'm able to, uh, you know, stay focused and in the present, and that lets me uh, at least approach problems with the best uh, with the best mindset. Even though I might not end up might not be able to solve them in the end, I at least approach them with an open, you know, open, honest, and willing mind. 
And after you said meditation, you mentioned you, you or earlier you said you're a sponsor and you have sponsees. And do you have a sponsor? Talk to me a little bit about that. And do you find that helpful? Because I currently have a sponsor and, and he's a godsend. Mm-hmm. I love it. I don't know what I would do without him. But talk to me about that. What is it like working with other alcoholics? And you have 14 months. And how important is that? It's been huge for me. It's been huge because it's sort of a feeling of when I first started coming into the program of AA and just just the relief I would feel from talking to people that knew exactly what I was talking about, things that I hadn't been able to describe to anyone else before or, you know, hadn't had anyone understand. Just the just the insanity that comes along with active addiction and alcoholism and to be able to have people say, yep, I did that too, or here's what I did. And, you know, even be able to laugh about things that, you know, a lot of other people would you know, not necessarily find so funny uh, <laughs> has been incredibly important, uh, incredibly important. I, that, that sense of belonging was, was like the first boost I'd say I got in sobriety when I really found a good home group that I could connect with. And then the sponsor was sort of the second one where you started working with someone one-on-one and you started seeing, like with my sponsor, I started seeing progress in the way that I react to things, the way that I approach my daily life, you know, and that's uh, in large part uh, due to him and just the discussions we've had uh, and I, and it's somebody that's been there before, you know, it's, if you're going to ask somebody directions, ask somebody that's been there because that's, you know, you don't need uh, directions to the wrong place. You don't need to reinvent the wheel when there's somebody who kind of has what you have and, and you want to live a lifestyle like, like they do. And, and how do people maybe find a sponsor? Yeah, that's, I, I, uh, recommend, you know, going, go to a few meetings, you know, around your area. Like it's probably someone, you know, you want someone that's probably pretty accessible. Sometimes that can be uh, done through just a phone relationship. I mean, I've, I've met people that have done that uh, successfully. Um, but I like mine to be close, goes to my home group. I see very often uh, just so he, you know, he knows what's going on with me. He sees me pretty much day to day so that he can tell, you know, my ups and my downs. He can tell if there's something going on with me. And uh, that keeps me, you know, tuned in. And, and uh, so I just recommend go to a bunch of meetings, listen to uh, what's being said, and then just start talking to people that seem like, uh, you know, they have what you want. Like, I'd like to, you know, be sitting where that guy or woman is uh, sitting when I have that much sobriety. So I should go ask these people how they did it. And Eric, we have reached the rapid fire round where I've got four questions for you. And if you could answer in 20 to 30 seconds, that'd be great. If you go over, not a problem. Are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, what was holding you back from quitting drinking? I think the biggest thing that held me back was just a lot of the... um, you know, the shame, the connotations that come with admitting uh, you're, an, you're an alcoholic or you're an addict and the willingness to, uh, you know, accept that and that even though that stigma was there, that doing that was the most healthy thing I could do for myself and was actually going to, you know, get me, get me going in the right direction. Eric, what is your favorite resource in recovery? Uh, the people, the people in AA, there's always somebody, uh, you know, once you get plugged in, you can call and just say, I'm, this is what's going on. I'm having this issue. And uh, they're there. People show up, man. It's great. The people are definitely my favorite. 
And Eric, in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? I think just keep showing up and hold on long enough. You know, there's a lot of times where all you got to do is hold on long enough. You don't have to necessarily act right now. Uh, you just need to stay sober. So add, you know, add one more day up, 24 hours of time and come back and we'll try again tomorrow. Just uh, go to meetings and don't drink between them. There we go. And there are a lot of listeners who are thinking about quitting drinking. What parting piece of guidance can you give to the people out there who do want to quit drinking alcohol? Ooh, parting guidance, huh? Um, I guess, you know, it's really about uh, really about what you want um, what's, and what you're able to see. If you, if you can sit down with yourself and say, this is a problem and this is holding me back, uh, from doing and being the person that I want to be, then uh, it's uh, maybe time to do do something, kind of like we talked about earlier. So, you know, maybe quitting drinking, uh, you know, isn't the first thing on your list or whatnot. Just make it time to change something and then be open to, you know, what that change is going to be. But consider, you know, if you're going to make a big change, maybe it should be that one. Eric, I think we both know we're taking it one day at a time, but what is your plan moving forward? Oh, moving forward is uh, continuing continuing to be active in my Alcoholics Anonymous program and to continue connecting, I mean, with people like you, Paul, and continue to hear these great stories around of people that are, uh, you know, genuinely living life sober, happy, and free, you know, happy, joyous, and free, as they say, will be is to keep talking to people like that, because it's, uh, it really is what um, keeps me going. Eric, fantastic stuff. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, no problem. Thank you, Paul. I really appreciate the podcast and, uh, you know, all the guests you have on it. So thank you. You might be an alcoholic if, and this one comes from Christina, you might be an alcoholic if your 21-year-old calls it a night before you do, even if she doesn't have to go to her unpaid internship the next day. This one's from John. You might be an alcoholic if you wake up after a blackout in a jail cell and you use the tickets written by the police officers as a Kleenex in your jail cell the next morning. You might be an alcoholic if, on your way back from Spain on an eight-hour Atlantic flight, you start having a conversation with the random girl next to you in your seat. And about 30 minutes into the conversation, she goes, you have no idea who I am, do you? And you're like, oh, crap. If you've got some good you might be an alcoholic ifs, email us at info at recoveryelevator.com. Now, I had mentioned we were going to have Maggie in episode 13 back after her trip from Denver. I got an email from Maggie. She said she drank and she was sorry. Maggie, if you're listening, don't be sorry. This is a progress. This is a marathon. It is not a sprint. There are some people, not myself, when they decide to quit drinking, that's it. Not me. Maybe it's just my personality. I changed my major day one of school, very first day of college. In fact, it's 7.30 in the morning before 8 a.m. That's how I was. I was indecisive. And I guess that's how I was in sobriety. So Maggie, if you are listening, please reach out again. We'd love to have you back on when you are sober again. Because this is one day at a time. And you have already laid critical foundations for your sobriety. You've reached out to us. Heck, you've been on a podcast that has been downloaded over 10,000 times. And what that did was create accountability. So Maggie, all of us here at Recovery Elevator, we're cheering for you. You can do this. Recovery Elevator, you took the elevator down. You got to take the steps back up. You 
can do this. 